Welcome back to the Complete History of Coffee special episode, The Baton Death March. Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and let's get started. Today we have on Emily Knowlton to talk with us about the Bataan Death March and coffee in the Philippines in honor of the Bataan Death March. This is my friend Emily. Hi. Um, Emily and I have known each other for most of our lives <laughs> at this point. So um, she is Filipino and she wanted to do a special episode with us about the Bataan Death March. Hi. Yes. Hello. So I have brought you. Um, coffee that is directed f- directly from the Philippines, I should say. And it is called Baraco Gold. So Baraco Gold is also known as Liberca coffee, which is um what an is African it? coffee. It is, and it's supposed to be one of the rarest coffees in the world. Or in the Philippines so at least. We're gonna do this coffee as a pour over. So we have the pour over itself, and then we're going to put our bamboo filter in there. Okay, so uh, typically you want to do about two tablespoons to every six ounces of water when you're doing a pour over. Um, if you want it a little bit stronger, you can. So I am making this one just a little bit stronger. So uh, we are going to start by wetting the filter, and then you put your coffee in. What you want to do is kind of go around the coffee in a circular formation. And you're just trying to get everything wet. Go about halfway up. And we're going to let that kind of brew for a minute. You can hear it brewing right now. Uh, we'll let that sit for a second. And then we'll pour in the rest of our water. So it's sort of like brewing it twice through. In the meantime, you want to tell us a little bit about coffee history in the Philippines. The Philippines has a very rich coffee history. So it's one of the countries that are currently producing four varieties of the coffee, which is very rare. What are the four varieties? Arabica, um, Robusta, 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 Liberica, and... Liberica. I'm just saying our listeners so that way they know I'm not trying to correct you. Oh, uh, no, it's fine. Arabica, <laughs> Robusta, Liberica, and what was the other one? Excelsa? I've never heard of that one, so yeah, I can't pronu- I, I can't correct your pronunciation <laughs> if you were saying it wrong. I apologize if I how is it spelled? Just so we just so we know how it's, it's spelled. E X C E, um, L S A. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to look into this at some point too. I didn't even know there was like a fourth one. I knew of the the main three. Yeah, because obviously Arabica is kind of the main one, and the Robusta. Mm-hmm. I think they use Liberica, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. If you if you covered this. Uh, probably because of coffee leaf rust, I would assume it's probably more resistant to it. Yeah, I but I don't want to. So. I don't want to go over your thing. So you go ahead. G- oh, give no, us like... the start. <laughs> Set the scene for us. Coffee history in the Philippines. So I don't know much about that. I do know about the coffee rust, but you know, so in 1740, a Spanish Franciscan monk actually introduced coffee, the coffee bean, to uh, the Philippines in Lipia, Batangas. And that province actually grew into wealth over the decades just because of that. But it was the Spanish. Because mm-hmm. they were not the first ones there. So that's interesting that the Spanish were the first ones to bring coffee, though. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting because it's a monk. And that's supposed to be, like, yeah. a myth. 
Well, like, a lot of myth. a lot of them got uh, coffee from monks um, in a lot of the areas that I've been going over. As far as like colonial areas, be it Latin America or Asia, it seems like the monks love their coffee. They brought the <laughs> coffee over. They do, and isn't that kind of interesting? Because you would think that they would want something more of like, you know, tea or anything something like that. More be- chill. You have to think about um, a lot of them were were praying or meditating and doing their monkly things at all hours of the night and. I don't know. They like their coffee. They got hooked. And I think <laughs> if you too. think about it, it's probably better than drinking excessive amount of alcohol because certainly during the medieval period, they were drinking in excess oh, yeah. of alcohol. <laughs> the Philippine coffee history is very short. There's not really like much to it rather than... The coffee arrived. Yeah, the coffee arrived. What in... happened with it, though? We don't know. Is it? Did no one talk about that at all? Not really. Like They just said that, you know, by myth, because nobody really knows how the Philippine coffee came about. They just said that it was uh, brought in 1740 by a Franciscan monk. And then because of that, it grew into wealth in the Philippines. As the decades went by, there was a coffee rust that came oh, through. Oh, the coffee leaf rust. Dun, dun, dun. Do we know the date when that happens? For it. So, I assume that was probably like the late 1800s, early 1900s. It's like late 1800s. Late 1800s. That's when a lot mm. of Southeast Asia was getting hit. So because of that, the Philippines became the world's largest coffee producer. And so... The Philippines became the world's largest coffee producer? Mm-hmm. When was that? That was like... Let's see. So in 1880, it became the world's fourth largest exporter. Oh, fourth largest. It, yes, yeah. because for a while, there was other countries that overtook Brazil. I was like, I don't think they were the first, though. No. Because there a lot of <laughs> other countries in Latin America, and then there was specifically countries within Southeast Asia that grew a lot as a result. I was like, they became the largest, though? I didn't know no. that. I just thought I would have come across <laughs> that in my research. But well, fourth, that's really impressive still. During the 1800s in general, that was like the height of like the Philippine coffee industry in 1880, it became the only source of coffee beans worldwide after coffee, after the coffee rust hit Brazil, Java, and Africa. The Philippines actually lies in the equatorial zone, which is also known as the bean belt. The coffee belt, yeah. Yeah. And it's consisted of like 50 countries. And, you know, because it's in the bean belt, uh, the Philippines is, uh, it has a very favorable climate and the soil that actually consists of both the lowlands to the mountain regions. So that's why it's able to produce all four varieties of coffees. There's really not much more to the Philippine coffee history other than, you know, modern day after the coffee rust, it was never able to actually recover. But that doesn't mean the wants and the need for coffee throughout the Philippines has diminished. It actually has a large... Very large consumer. You know. What's this coffee called? So this is called Barraco uh, Coffee. That smells pretty good. So I'm getting a little bit of earthy herbal. There's kind of some fruity, though. It really does. Like, what is it? Like, what do you think it smells like? Um, it's like a berry. Really? Kind of. What do you What do you get? I mean, you can get something else. It kind of like smells like cherries to me. 
the Philippines is also known for like having like really big cherries there that like oh, really? grow alongside like you know the coffee. So interesting. And that's in Batangas, which is which is where this is grown. So definitely a pour over. So if you do a pour over, it's gonna make it um I don't want to say watered down, but it's a much lighter taste than you might get from a lot of other brewing forms. Um, it also makes it a lot more smooth. So I don't know if you're getting that, but it's like light smooth kind of taste to it it's not super bitter though it's not i was expecting this to be like really strong i mean i could just drink it like this too bad i know you wanted to add like cream and sugar to it and i was like (laughs) we got to try it this way first and then we can determine i might add just a little bit but honestly overall yeah no it's a very smooth coffee Mm -hmm. um obviously if we might have done it like as a french press or something else it might be a little bit more intense but i get a light roastiness to it um there's a bit of a bitter but it's it's a very smooth finish overall usually i don't drink my coffees black this yeah. is actually really good i like the i like the nutty and fruity flavor that you get it is almost it. a nutty which is weird because it's asia and not from latin america but i was getting almost a nutty from the smell mm-hmm. not so much the taste i don't maybe you're getting the taste for me it was more of the aromas there's a, some nut somewhere in there yeah very different, I have to say. Like, this is very different from the rest of the coffees that I have ever tasted. Granted, I've never actually had coffee outside of what's produced. Yeah, I'm like, I've never like... had Filipino coffee, so this is pretty cool. <laughs> I can see why everybody, like, gets addicted to this really fast. Like, everybody that I talk to, and I was asking my parents, like, hey, how is there, like, any special way to, per- like, you know, prepare this drink? Or prepare coffee. I have no idea how to say it, but like, it's like that foamy coffee from South Korea. The foamy coffee from South Korea? I have yeah. no idea. I didn't look at South Korea on our Asia episode. <laughs> well, it's like modern day. It's like everybody has like their little whisks. It's like on TikTok. Oh, too. interesting. So more of a modern thing. Mm-hmm. Like where they have like, it, it kind of looks like a fluffy macchiato. Okay, let's get into the baton death march. So I guess I'll open a little bit on that for anyone who doesn't know the time. Death March opened um, sort of World War II for the United States. Obviously, most people think of Pearl Harbor, but the Bataan Death March was happening very close in time, or at least specifically Japan's invasion of the Philippines and then the subsequent Bataan Death March. But I will let you go ahead and take it from wherever you want to start. I'll start off by... Pearl Harbor and the Bataan Death March, which is actually known as Bataan Death March. Like in the Philippines, it's actually Bataan, but we pronounce it Bataan. That's how my new hairstylist said it. She's from the Philippines. And (laughs) I was telling her that we were going to do this episode today. Mm -hmm. I just got a new haircut. So I went in and I was like, oh, we're going to do the episode. And then she she was like, I was like the Bataan Death March. And she kind of gave me this look. And then she said it the way you did. And I was like, yes. Yeah, like everybody, the Filipinos, like when when they hear baton, it's like, what do you mean? It is interesting because there's two A's, yeah, mm-hmm. but the on, that's interesting. It's almost like if there's like a little apostrophe in there or something. The Filipino language, if you, <laughs> it looks completely different from how it's actually spoken. Um. So like it's but the on, but we're going to say it as baton because everybody knows it like that. After Pearl Harbor happened, uh, there was a general named Douglas Smith Arthur who knew that 
Japan's next target was actually the Philippines. So mm. that's why they all started heading over there. They were trying to avoid getting into the war, but because Japan bombed uh, Hawaii. So yes. So I'm not too sure about all the details. I'm not really going to deep dive into the beginning of, you know, how, you know, after Pearl Harbor, how America got there. Douglas MacArthur and his team went over to the Philippines and then they started they set up their headquarters in Carago. Um I'm not too sure if I'm pronouncing that wrong so please excuse me. It's in the Philippines though. Yeah. And um I believe that's like like the main part of like an island. But yes, they set up their headquarters in Carago and then him and his team was fighting like for three months in the Battle of Bataan. And oh, like at the start, mm -hmm. like when Japan was invading. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, I actually, do you know why Japan invaded the Philippines? Strategic importance? <laughs> Screw the United States? I really don't know. They were, they were invading the Philippines because it was like the main. Uh, oil producer between I think it was like the Dutch East Indies Indian which Canada. is also which is known as Indonesia today and Japan so Japan's all like yeah we're gonna we're just gonna invade oil. the Philippines for the oil but yes like so Battle of Bataan like how long did that last that lasted three months so and because yeah. yeah, it started right around Pearl Harbor Mm -hmm. And then the anniversary isn't until April 9th. It started in January. And then mm. after three months of fighting, uh, what's it called? The transfer actually happened on April 9th. So that was the beginning of the Bataan Death March itself. But, you know, the whole story behind it is always like it always kind of intrigues me because of how I wouldn't say like avoidable it was. But I feel like nobody really talks about the story behind it and to why yes. it happened. Yes. So, okay, so we're going to get into the story then. Yeah. So the reason why the Battle of Bataan was only three months is because the Americans, were, which was actually from New Mexico, a lot of the battalion was from New Mexico, from the National Specifically Guard. Specifically National Guard. Do you mm -hmm. know why? I have no idea. What language do you think people in the United States assume people in a place called New Mexico speak? Probably Spanish. What do they speak in the Philippines? So the Philippines actually speaks three languages after but their so Spain conquered them, so mm -hmm. their main language is It's Spanish. But it's different. It is different. Mm -hmm. You can't like speak straight Spanish to someone <laughs> in the Philippines. They're going to look at you like, what do you, what? Yeah. Like, it's, and like it's, someone, very... it's like someone in Spain and Portugal trying to talk to each other. It's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Like it's very similar, but it's also kind of different. But again, that's what my point is, is I'm sure the United States was like, ah, New Mexicans <laughs> probably speak Spanish and they speak Spanish. Yeah, that's great. Let's send them yeah, over. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go, you know? Well, I mean, like it's very formal Spanish too. Oh, is it more like that Castilian? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Like everybody, if you were to speak Spanish to the Filipinos, like at least the Filipinos I know, they're like, why are you speaking in so much slang? 
Like it's very formal over there. Uh, And then Spanish and Tagalog, which is the main dialect of the Philippines, um, it's very similar. So it's just kind of like, I feel like if you're going to add some slang in there. You said they have three main ones. So it's English, Spanish, and Tagalog. Oh, they speak English? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. It was like... Is that because America colonized them for a while? I believe so. Like, I know... I'm not too sure about... It's interesting. I just didn't know that. Yeah, I I think so because, you know, the Philippines is always... It's always being conquered by... It's always getting conquered, those poor people. Might as well speak Japanese too, I guess. (laughs) Japanese occupied, like, the Philippines from, like, 1942 to like 1945 until they surrendered so oh they they were in control of the philippines throughout the whole war i just figured at some point the united states was like we want that back i mean technically they didn't really like conquer the philippines but they were kind of messing everybody up for like you you know like the rape of nanking like how the japanese was doing all that having all the atrocities there so the baton death march was actually compared to that but nobody really um, talks about it well let's let's dive into the death march itself then okay unless you had more to say about the battle the reason why the battle of baton was cut three months into it was because americans and filipino soldiers they weren't really prepared for japan to invade like they knew mm-hmm. it was coming but they weren't really prepared so they had like no firepower. They had no manpower. They had no medicine, no like aircrafts to help them. They were literally just fighting the Japan, like the Japanese by themselves without like any reinforcements. So the people who were there, like the Americans and the Filipinos, they were like <laughs> fighting tooth and nail for that territory that they were in. When the soldiers realized, hey, we're running out of supplies, we're running out of men, and we have no backup coming. General King actually went up to the leader of the Japanese Imperial Army, Lieutenant General Homa, and he said, yes, we surrender because he thought the atrocities would end. It would probably be, be- it would probably be better off. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. But you would think you would think, but it actually worsened their whole <laughs> their <sighs> whole situation. Yeah. And you know how like. In the Holocaust, they had like those trains to ship off prisoners to a certain death mm-hmm. or death camp. Mm-hmm. So the Japanese were actually doing the same thing. They actually had camps, the prison camps of their own. But here's the kicker: this is why the about the on death march happened was because those trains were 65 miles away from mm. <laughs> from Bataan, which where they were at. They were trying to march the soldiers. So there's not a confirmed number, and they don't know how many died. But the estimated is like 5,000 to 18,000. So what was the total number before? Uh, I'm not too sure. Like That's they just... a lot to, to die. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, how many <laughs> might have been there before? Wow. 70,000 prisoners. That's approximately. I didn't know they had that many people. Yeah. To begin with. That's a sizable force. It is a sizable force. I assumed there were some casualties during the the battle before the death march. How many people did they have? They just <laughs> needed better equipment, I guess. They needed some some more guns and 
they needed the preparation. That's, <laughs> that's what they needed. They needed preparation. Yeah. There was 9,000 soldiers that were from America, approximately. And then there was 60,000 Filipino soldiers. Throughout the, throughout the whole Bataan, Bataan Death March, it was 5,000 to 18,000 POWs that died. Okay, that's also like a wide spectrum. Like Japan didn't take good records. They're like, eh, it was about a dozen thousand. I don't know. When you look this up, it's not as detailed as, you know, the Holocaust in Germany was. Oh, or yeah, like the they rape. They wanted of- those records. They wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Japan was like, yeah. Well, the Japanese don't even recognize that they did the atrocities in China and in Bataan. They don't yeah. they don't recognize any of this and i'm like what do you mean i have a family member who was actually part of the bata on death march i was never able to hear the stories that he had from it but you know he never told anybody about what he witnessed and what he went through from what my family says is that he was a really good street fighter when he was younger before that even happened and then when the japanese invaded I guess he just used those skills that, you know, as a survivalist, he told their mother, so my great-grandmother, and she was saying that he, he witnessed friends dying and, you know, all these other things, but she never really told anybody what he said. But he did have a drinking habit right after. Like, he didn't let anybody come near him so afterwards. potentially probably some, like, PTSD and other things. hmm I've heard some pretty crazy stories from the Philippines from my grandmother and my grandfather, but like particularly my grandmother because she grew up like or I grew up hearing all her stories. So while her brother, she was alive during that time, right? Mm-hmm. So she was, I believe she was like 12 by the time the Japanese invaded the death march happened. And she had, I think she had about like nine siblings. And stuff like that. And her brother was the one who went into the death march while she was at home in her province. And she was telling me how the Japanese actually flew over her provinces and were trying to shoot her down because she was wearing a red dress in the forest. And she was she held she was holding her five year old nephew. So a little 12 year old with a five year old running from these aircrafts. Like, That's shooting bullets terrifying. down. My goodness. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, they really hunted, like, everybody during that time. Like, you know, the soldiers who were going through the death march, they were being, you know, raped. They were being beaten. They were being beheaded if, you know, they caught a soldier who was dehydrated. They had malaria. Um, they had um, just all these kinds of illnesses because... You know, the Philippines is a tropical place. So from one account that I was hearing from a soldier who survived, he said that the temperature was actually um, 108 degrees, I believe, plus the humidity. And the Philippines has, like, mosquitoes and, like, all these things. Yeah, all these crazy things in the jungle. So, like... So do you know if... The American soldiers got treated any different than the Filipino soldiers? Oh, no. they like, just, Was there a little bit of racism towards the Filipinos at all? Or they just treated everyone equally just 
bad. From what I'm seeing, like every time that I'm reading it, they were more focused towards the American soldiers because, you know, well, they were the like more specifically mad at the Americans for being there. I want to say, like, I want to say, like they they treated everybody equally bad because they just oh, they, they just didn't really care. Yeah, they just all prisoners at that point. Yeah, they just they just saw them as like disposable human beings. So like anybody who was falling, anybody who couldn't like keep up or like whoever was like crapping their pants and throwing up because they had all those diseases and sicknesses. Like there was people like walking with bullet wounds and you know they never got treated for it. And then you know the soldiers were just the Japanese soldiers just like to pick it on everybody. But the accounts from the survivors, I haven't really seen like a Filipino survivor come out. Like from my research, it's always like the documentaries that I've seen are always about the Americans. Mm, so that's coming from their perspective. But I'm not too sure if one demographic was more hated than the other. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there a lasting legacy then? You're talking about because it got it's, it got brought up within your family every now and then. Oh yeah, like. But like, think about right, like growing up in New Mexico. Yes, I learn about it in school and it's relevant, but we don't talk about it. We're not like, oh man, that dang baton death march. <laughs> but it sounds like maybe there's a lasting legacy for some Filipinos. There are just like how we are here, like how America doesn't really talk about it. Or anybody really talks about it. Filipinos don't really talk about it all that much. There's like, there's things dedicated to the Bataan Death March here, particularly in New Mexico, because it. Well, yeah, I can imagine it can be sort of like the uh, like Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. in many ways. The trains that they were trying to march everybody to, that was actually at Camp O'Donnell. That lasted for sixty-five miles. Between, mm. I'm not too sure. Five miles is quite a bit to march through mm-hmm. a tropical environment, I imagine. And those 65 miles, like depending on where a soldier would like join in on the march, because I think they they picked up straggling, like the little stragglers along the way. Oh. So from what I'm researching, it was five to ten days for the 65 miles, and then they had no drinks. No food. Oh, that's several days to not really have anything to eat or drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, you're already sick. And then <laughs> you're wounded. Your friends would have got shot if, you, if they were caught helping you. Douglas MacArthur was actually, we see him as the savior of the Philippines. He actually left the Philippines during, like, the beginning of, you know, the war. Because when everybody ran out of supplies and men and all this other stuff. Teddy Roosevelt, which was the president during that time, actually ordered MacArthur to leave. Teddy Roosevelt would have been during the early 1900s. Franklin? Well, Roosevelt during the time. There you go. (laughs) So Roosevelt, like, ordered Douglas MacArthur to go um, to Australia during that time. And he actually declined because he didn't want to leave his soldiers. He didn't want to leave the Philippines. To just, you know, suffer for themselves. Yeah, they he didn't want them to suffer because his dad played a really big role in the Civil War and stuff like that. So 
He took his military life and very uh, military career very seriously. Roosevelt offered him, like, hey, if you leave now, then whenever you come back, you can have control of a certain company, like in the in the military. So that's why MacArthur agreed to leave. Uh. But he told the Filipinos, I shall be back. And then he kept his word and he came back in 1945. Mm. And he was the one that actually stopped, like, you know, the invasion of the, of the Philippines. He got together with Roosevelt and a man named Charles Nimitz. And then they made up a whole plan to invade the Philippines. I believe Nimitz and Roosevelt were against the idea at first. But then he's just like, no, we're going to do this plan. So then he actually led the invasion into the Philippines. So they actually got um, the Imperial Army to surrender to them. Interesting. <laughs> so, and he's the one that, like, that I was talking about that actually was able to disband the Japanese Imperial Army mm-hmm. right after the war. Okay. Cool. So. Hopefully you enjoyed this special episode. Next time, we will be getting back to our main story as we talk about coffee in the First World War. This show is written and produced by me, Eris Zaffer. If you have not already, please consider supporting this podcast series on Patreon. For the price of a latte a month, you can support this and future projects in the series. Make sure to join our community on social media at the Complete History Podcast Series. If you would like to contact us, you can do so through our social media or at our email, completehistorypod at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, and make sure to share it with your family and friends. Thanks for listening.